Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. In the programme this week, Sky Television loses the broadcast rights to English Premier League football to a new online company. Is this the beginning of the end for Sky Sports' virtual monopoly here? And will everyone be able to see the Premier League online? The All Blacks hit Taranaki to try to wrap up the French Test Series. Basketball history is set to be made with Kiwi Stephen Adams in America's NBA draft. Plus, badminton's trans-Tasman white trophy and the Auckland International all happened this week. We catch up with where the code's at with the national men's number one. First up, English football's moving from Sky Television to the internet. But will everyone be able to watch? Football fans in rural communities will suffer under a new initiative to show the English Premier League on the internet. Sky TV's lost the rights to screen the English football competition to a company offering subscribers all 380 of next season's games online. Ben Robinson reports on the so-called digital divide that's emerging between rural and urban viewers. The season comes down to these moments now, and in goes Aguero! Scenes like Manchester City clinching the Premiership in 2012 will no longer be witnessed on Sky TV after Coliseum Sports Media announced it had won the right to screen the English Premier League for the next three years. All 380 of the coming season's matches will be available online, although TVNZ will show one game each Sunday. Coliseum's Chief Executive Tim Martin says a $150 subscription for every game is a good deal. What I know is in the UK, you can't get all 380 games live for one subscription. That is not available to you. So for New Zealanders to be able to have every single Premier League game live, that really hasn't been seen before. Another point to that is that our technology runs off an adaptive streaming platform. So we have three streams per device per game. So that allows us to deliver content at 800 kilobits per second, 1600 kilobits per second and 3000 kilobits per second. So depending on the quality of your internet connection, even if it's poor, uh, you'll still be able to receive the game. But the chief executive of the Telecommunications Users Association, Paul Brislin, says even with the pending improvements to rural internet connections, football fans in the countryside will miss out. This really highlights the problem we've got in New Zealand of this major digital divide between rural and urban viewers. An urban viewer with DSL, which is the standard broadband technology of choice these days, uh, you'll probably be okay. There might be a little bit of buffering at the start, you know, where it, it sits there and queues it all up for you, but predominantly I think you'd be okay. Rural viewers on anything less than those kinds of speeds, and as you say, dial-up, for instance, is still very common. Uh, no, I don't think you'll be able to watch it at all. The president of New Zealand's Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Club, Stuart Cushing, says without the Premier League, Sky TV will suffer as well. I've cancelled my Sky Sports subscription today. I know it sounds petty, but I mean, most football supporters and viewers won't be paying Sky Sports to watch rugby, NRL, netball, 
mean, the sky's going to suffer. The president of Wellington's Island Bay United Football Club, Gary Osterbahn, says he's likely to sign up for internet football and sign out of Sky. I would cancel my sports subscription because what's left is not really sufficient to warrant it. The chief executive of New Zealand Football, Grant McAvenar, says Sky's loss could benefit the game here. Local content may become a bigger player on the screen. We'll be sitting down with Sky and understanding what options are available to us around our local premiership, our local national women's league, which we've extended this year. One thing we do know is that Sky do understand that top quality football is good content uh, and that they will want to replace what they've lost with something that drives their subscriber base. Grant McAvener says the new internet football platform will bring more games to viewers and help fans follow their teams. Ben Robinson. Meanwhile, a social and digital media expert believes streaming the English Premier League online will pave the way for other New Zealand media to follow suit. John Randalls from Auckland's Mosh social media agency already streams the football matches and he believes it's the way of the future. He spoke with Jane Patterson. I haven't plugged my TV in for a couple of years now and very passionate about the football and particularly the Premier League and particularly Liverpool. And so I found ways to stream uh, some of the games from some various uh, European sites. What advantages does it give you watching it online? I don't have to pay exorbitant amount for a lot of content that I won't be watching. Um, if Sky had just a, a football package, then I probably would have gone for that a long time ago. It's all I'm really interested in, in watching, to be honest. So, yeah, I'm really excited that I can watch it on an iPad or on my iPhone or, yeah, on, on my computer. What's the quality like? Because, obviously, you have to rely on an internet connection. Yeah, and I've struggled with the quality, actually. But my, my passion overcomes the, the quality issues. So at least I get to see what's happening. Um, and when I'm reading the articles the next day, I know what's going on. I know what they're talking about. Does it give you more flexibility in terms of when you want to watch it? Yeah, definitely. So I've struggled at the moment. I've been getting up at you know crazy times, three in the morning on a Monday morning, to watch some of these games. And from what I hear, I'll be able to, to choose the times that I can watch these games. So that's quite exciting. Do you think there'd be much appetite among the viewing public to watch more sports like this and veer away from the likes of Sky Sport? I think that this is the way that media is moving to. So people are starting to choose what it is that they want to watch. And I, I just see that happening more. Could you get the best of both worlds for people who still want to kick back on their lazy boys and watch the big screen? Can you stream through the TV? Well, that's the thing. Um, certainly you can, and there's various ways to do it, and I just think that's going to happen more and more. It's going to become, they're going to be much more connected. All our devices will be more connected. Digital commentator John Randall's talking to Jane Patterson on Morning Report. Sky wasn't even the runner-up in the English Premier League rights auction. Second place went to the new Freeview sports channel, Somit Sports. That would have meant completely free-to-air EPL coverage. But now, unless football fans dump Sky Sport completely and miss out on other football, such as the Champions League and Wellington Phoenix A-League games, their favourite pastime is going to cost them at least $150 more a year. I put the frustration over the upheaval to the Sky Television CEO, John Follett, who says they didn't drop the round ball. We certainly wasn't caught napping. I mean, we've been doing this for about six months. We had a couple rounds of bids, and the price got to a point that it just didn't uh, give us the value that we needed. The easiest thing to do is win bids. I mean, I could uh, continue to win every one and keep going up as high as it takes. I probably got the biggest balance sheet around. 
But then the trouble is you get a, a sports service that's just so expensive, no one can afford to take it. And in New Zealand, there's a real competitive environment anyway. I mean, uh, we lost out Wimbledon bid to TVNZ. It happens. Uh, we lost out the V8s to TV3. Now, they went into some financial difficulties, so we got those back. But we probably lose as many uh, bids as we win. We understand the winning bid by Coliseum was around $2 million. Can you claim that you are committed to football coverage when, you know, such a relatively small amount, given, you know, you spend almost $300 million, $298 million a year, I think, on all your programming mm-hmm. rights? Keep in mind, the English Premier League represents 0. 0.6, 0.6 of all the viewing across the Sky platform. So if you multiply that times our annual rights bill, I think we're pretty close. You know, you can't win them all. And uh, you just uh, keep going on to the next one. We do about 25 deals a week. Yeah, and this one just has a much higher profile, which I, which I understand, and we actually put a, a value of it. But uh, uh, what would destroy the shareholder value long term is winning too many of these, these bids and not being and pricing yourself out of the market. But wasn't it worth more than $2 million to keep the football fans happy, though? I mean, are the Premier League rights really not worth more than that? I mean, there's a lot of football fans like myself who are thinking, well, now I've got to shell out $150 at least, plus whatever hardware and whatever else. And I know that people are cutting back on, on their Sky subscriptions or on parts of their Sky subscriptions in order to be able to afford it. Well, you know, we're not, we're not seeing that. Um, our sport, uh, Sky Sports uh, subs went up this week and our uh, net gain went up this week. You now, keep in mind, one Wellington Phoenix game outrights any EPL league game and outrights the top four uh, EPL uh, games of that week. Yeah, but that's just a time zone thing. I mean, if, if, you, if you're playing absolutely. Liverpool v Arsenal on a four o'clock on a Sunday, that would rate hugely. Uh, absolutely. And if I could get those games live at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, the rate would have been considerably higher. The football fans, though, I mean, you're, you know, your name's, I don't know if your name's Mud or not. A lot of football fans think this is great because they'll just be able to get football and, you know, not have to watch uh, the other stuff, etc. I think Sky's a wonderful uh, mass network, if you will, and, and your coverage has been fine so far. It's just that now the English football's missing. And, like, the manager of my Sunday football side, Semantics Rovers, has mm-hmm. said exactly that he's going to uh, cut his Sky subscription by as much as the new Coliseum deal costs him. I mean, have you thought about discounting at all to people like myself and him? Well, just the fact that our rates are going up. Uh, our, you know, our cost of content went from 10% last year uh, compare, uh, higher this year, and we're budgeted to do another 10% next year. So the costs have never kind of entered into it. Uh, uh, we, we all facts be known, we probably lo- actually lose money on the Sky Sports tier from uh, from year to year. So uh, you know, I think it's a it's a fair market value. I mean, the debate is around. Could you imagine if we had one for MPC and one for Super 15 and one for just the test matches for rugby and one for the NRL and one for the uh, the Kiwis? I mean, you could have all these separate platforms long term for any one particular fan. It will always probably be cheaper to go to if, if all you're interested is watching the Kiwis play. You could probably get a cheaper deal off of just doing an exclusive uh, platform. At the end of the day, I think the Sky Sports platform gives you that ability to offer a uh, a broad mix of uh, content. You know, you just have to keep making sure that you have the right valuation. Because uh, how much, I mean, your friend, your football manager, if I had to match the bid of every bid that came in, might have to drop Sky anyway because it got too expensive for him. So one way or the other, I, I stand the chance of potentially losing. So there's no way you're discounting anything. Uh, is, can you ever see a time when Sky might be forced to discount because of the competition? 
Well, typically in uh, areas where there's two or three pay operators, it doesn't become a price war. It becomes an arms war. And so there's each of them are bidding constantly for the uh, marginal uh, content available, which actually drives the prices up higher. So, you know, so New Zealand would have probably one of the lowest uh, pay TV rates uh, around the world. Do you think you're adapting to the new world fast enough? Because with the likes of Coliseum coming on board with the you know individual deals, mm-hmm. perhaps you know in the future would Sky be offering the NRL on a whatever platform, internet, uh, you know, television as a separate thing, and, and other you know tennis, whatever. Absolutely. Uh, look, I think it's an interesting case. Now, no one's been able to make money doing that yet. But uh, I think it's just a matter of time, and part of it's because um, uh, until there's a large connection of smart TVs and connections, you won't see as fast as take-up as I think you need. Now, again, I'm not an expert in their business model. Uh, they would know more about what they did, and I don't think they would have bid unless they thought they could uh, make uh, make a go of it. Uh, as an example, if you're an Igloo subscriber uh, this Saturday night, you can order the All Blacks, just a one-off game. So those are experiments we've been doing for um, ever since we launched Igloo. There's absolutely no nothing to prevent us from uh, looking at an option. And interesting, I see the media writer for the Herald, John Drennan, suggested that the entry of you know some true competition for sports rights here from Coliseum could be helpful for Sky in, in staving off regulation in, in regards to the Commerce Commission investigation. What's your response to that? I, I think he's, uh, for once, John is right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, situation is that uh, lots of people uh, constantly think that, uh, well, I'm amazed that a couple of weeks that same newspaper indicated that uh, that I was blocking a Netflix from coming in the market, which I find quite amusing that uh, all the cable operators in the United States, as powerful as they are, couldn't stop Netflix from coming in. B-Sky-B couldn't stop Netflix from coming in the U.K., but somehow I'd figured a way. I was so much more clever than uh, the evil genius that I was that I was able to stop Netflix. We can't stop them at all. I mean, these rights are available. And um, and anyone can come in and have a go, and that, uh, basically that's the regulatory framework. So I think lots of people just assume that I've done something illegal if, uh, if uh, we've been the most successful. When in effect, uh, as I think this case is proven, you got the money, you can get a go. All right, final question: Will you be bidding to get the English Premier League rights back, and when when are they available again? I, as I recall, that deal was three years, and uh, absolutely, I mean, we will always uh, be in pitching for all. Uh, it's a, like I said, it would uh, you know, be in the top 20 of the most desirable content we have. Sky TV boss John Follett, and this is Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Richard Wayne. Coming up, a New Zealander in the NBA basketball draft and badminton. Well, the All Blacks play France at Yarrow Stadium on Saturday night in the sold-out final of Les Bleus three-match tour in New Zealand. New Plymouth's going into party mode for the influx of visitors, and they're welcoming the French with some of their own culture. Our Taranaki reporter, Juliet Larkin, has more. It's been 19 years since the French team were in New Plymouth. The chairperson of the Taranaki Football Union, Lindsay Thompson, was 21 and played against them in the forwards. He says Taranaki played well despite losing 30-18 to to the more experienced and stronger French. We were a young team, but you know, guys like Warren Bunn and Colin Cooper um, led the forwards and we, and we got into them in the second half and it was a really enjoyable game to play in. Mr Thompson says New Plymouth will be buzzing this weekend. I think it's fantastic uh, to have the French back in, uh, in Taranaki and obviously by virtue of the fact that it's the All Blacks that are playing. 
that's a wonderful thing for Taranaki and for our community to have the opportunity to go to a test match locally. The All Blacks have only played in New Plymouth twice, last against Ireland in 2010. The All Black Victor Vito, who's been chosen to be in the starting lineup, says he's enjoying the town's support already. It's been pretty awesome uh, walking around the town and seeing that they're all uh, supporting, getting behind the All Blacks. Um, there's some signs all over, you know, just supporting us. So. I think the town's uh, pretty good and pretty prime for it. The manager of the cafe Petit Paris, Francois Husilios, has somewhat divided loyalties on who to back. Depends the score at halftime. No, I'd be supporting France, of course. Actually going to the game with a few Kiwi friends, so I think it's all about partying and having a great time and more than rugby itself, so it doesn't really matter. And now I live in New Zealand, so I'd be happy either way. A New Plymouth bar, Peggy Gordon's, has spent $80,000 on a party closing off part of the main street over three nights, with reggae music as well as the boy band Titanium playing. The publican Bertie Burley says while the weekend won't be as big as the World Cup matches, it's still going to be a cracker. If we get a big snow shower, as predicted, possibly even Saturday, and the mountain's clear, and people from all over the world see that stage, it's meant to be one of the best views in the world. And to get visitors here... Once they're here, they realise that we've got something special. You know, it's not downtown Auckland where you've got the, the viaduct. We've got lots more. Meanwhile, the All Blacks coach Steve Hansen says he won't be underestimating the French this weekend, despite two wins against them. It's going to be interesting to see what changes the French make. You know, I don't think they'll give us the backfield as easily as they did last time. So you know, DC and Mar and our, our back three will have to work a bit harder. All Blacks coach Steve Hansen rounding out that report from Juliet Larkin. Next Friday, New Zealand basketball may experience a bit of history, with Stephen Adams a chance of becoming the first Kiwi to be drafted in the first round of the NBA. Seven-foot Adams decided to enter the draft early after playing a year of college basketball in Pittsburgh. Some of the US media have Adams going as high as number 11 in the draft, which would mean a contract worth millions if he's picked up. Kenny McFadden, an American who's been part of New Zealand basketball for decades, is a mentor and coach for Adams. Barry Guy spoke with McFadden, who's in the States with Adams, and asked him about the meetings and tryouts Adams had with NBA clubs in the lead-up to the draft. Yeah, it's been full on. You know, he's, he's, he's been going around from club to club, you know, uh, people who got a chance to, to draft him, you know, and uh, he's been doing that for about uh, two and a half, three weeks. So you can get the most, uh, at least one day off in, in between the workouts. Some, some workouts over the last week has been back-to-back. How's he felt it's all gone? Oh, he's, felt, he's feeling pretty good. You know, he, he's enjoying the, the, the training, which is which is always a plus side. And, of course, he's enjoying going from city to city and getting an idea of what's happening behind the scenes and meeting some of the personnel and getting a chance to look at some of the great facilities they got to offer. Have there been any clubs that have shown perhaps more interest or anything that Stephen has shown more interest in? Uh, well, I mean, all, all clubs that he's seen show a lot of interest, but once again, it, it's a draft situation, so, you know, no one has that choice. Even the clubs don't have that choice. They, you know, minds are being made up uh, as the draft is going on on the day. You know, it's, it's a big business over here in terms of draft, so, you know, you don't get a chance to pick and choose, not unless you are... Uh, guaranteed number one pick you know besides that everything is up in the air so how is the draft looking is it you know because sometimes they say it, it was a good draft for guards and those sorts of things uh, how's it looking this year all right well it's looking good you know it's definitely looking good for himself you know it's a, it's a bit of a shortage of seven foot mobile big men in the 
in the league right now. And uh, with him uh, having that on his resume, uh, it makes life a little bit easier. You know, so, I mean, you know, he's predicted to uh, possibly go anywhere between 10 and 17, you know, somewhere around in there in the first round, which is which is not bad. Yes, I saw ESPN had him, I think it was about 11 or something, and possibly going to OKC. Yeah, yeah, that is a possibility. How is it for uh, someone, you know, he's he's a kid from New Zealand and... You know, for us back here, it all seems a bit of a dream, really. I know he's been playing college basketball over there, but, you know, it it just sort of seems something uh, extraordinary. Oh, well, no doubt about it. But, I mean, it's, it's been in the making for, uh, you know, at least four and a half years. So the process isn't something that happened overnight. So, you know, he had a chance to get himself prepared uh, both mentally as well as physically you know, to to prepare for exactly what's happening right now. So, I mean, he's taking it all in stride. You know, he's focusing on what, what needs to be done in terms of the things that he can control and things that he can't control, you don't worry about. You've obviously had a part in doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's all part, part of the process, you know, and uh, it's been a, a, a very, very, I guess, exciting time for myself to be able to see that, you know, some of the hard work that's been put down to, and, and, and to practice has actually come into fruition especially for, like I said, a young local boy. And I had always known over the years, I've been involved with basketball down in, in, in New Zealand, that uh, we can always get a, a guy uh, who's just as good as anybody else in the world, and he's proven that. Have you had to do more, perhaps mentally, prepare him than physically? Um, I mean, yes and no. It goes both hand in hand. You know, you can't, you can't do one without the other. We didn't just work on the physical side of it and without the mental side. I mean, you know, it started off with him focusing on what needs to be done in the classroom to actually go through the pathways, and which was some of the, the hardest things back in the early days. But from there, you know, wanting to learn and wanting to train, that becomes, uh, you know, something that it became easy to him after a while. It became not only uh, something he do, but becomes a lifestyle for him, which at the end of the day, it becomes easy when you put in all that hard work and you do it day in and day out. Correct me here, I'm no expert. He he sometimes looks a little bit slight, and if you compare him to perhaps how you know the broad shoulders of some of those NBA guys, does he need to bulk up at all? Oh well, he's he's, he's almost two hundred sixty pounds already. You know, at age nineteen, and most of the big guys that you see are, are veterans. You know, and that all comes with time. And you know, this whole process of putting on weight, it's 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 a uh, it's a very delicate process. You can't put on weight too too soon because you got to have the the proper weight. But he's he has the physical size right now to actually play in the league. And of course, as time go on, you know he he will you know develop uh, the sort of I guess muscles that's necessary for him to compete in the sort of style that the team wants him to play in. Uh, and on the day of the draft, is there any news yet whether you'll need to go to New York or will you set up a base somewhere else? Well, all that comes uh, in the next few days. It's all done on invite. And those invites should be coming out in the next couple of days. And, then, you know, if we, if we do get invited, uh, you know, in, in terms of possibly going into the lottery, which is the top 14, uh, then, uh, you know, we'd be, be in New York City. Uh, if not, uh, be sitting here in L.A. watching it on TV. Man, I imagine that must be a, a tough day. You know, if you are with them or something, will you just be trying to relax somehow is that possible oh it, it definitely will be relaxed you know i mean once again that that side of it is out of 
everybody's control. You know, the hard work has already been put in, and it's still being put in all the way up into draft day. And then, you know, it's all becomes then the decisions of the, of the ball clubs, of what they need in terms of trades or free agents that, that you know, teams need and positions. So worrying about it and, and that sort of stuff uh, is something that, uh, you know, you don't want to get into, you know. Uh, just as long as you get your foot in the door or into a team, uh, that, that, that's success. And then, and then the work begins again. Stephen Adams' mentor Kenny McFadden on his NBA draft chances. This is extra time. Badminton's biannual Trans-Tasman White Trophy took place this week with New Zealand beaten 4-1 by Australia at North Harbour. New Zealand men's number one Joe Wu was the only local to win his match. He's now playing the Auckland International in Newmarket. I caught up with him after his opening win over a young Malaysian player and I began by asking Joe about the impact of the resurrected annual National Open with an international upgrade and new sponsorship. Obviously the last couple of years it hasn't been very good because uh, I think it was cancelled last year. So this year it's, it's very good that it's actually happened and the new sponsor Sky City has come on board and together with actually a new badminton brand called Extreme is also sponsoring me a little bit. These things happening is, is quite good for badminton in New Zealand because this year we've attracted quite a few top players. Even though it's not Olympic year, it was a, quite a strong tournament. So it's definitely good, a good starting point. In New Zealand, badminton, obviously, it's, I suppose, a minority sport, about 10,000 players and 350 clubs. It's one of these sports where you have to pretty much come up with the money to travel and compete internationally yourself, isn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, we get minimal funding. Um, uh, we used to get quite a lot from, from Spark when we were doing quite well in the Commonwealth Games. But obviously, a lot of uh, older and more mature players have retired. And since then, we haven't actually had, I mean, comparable to them, we haven't had much uh, much results, especially in the Commonwealth Games. So we've actually lost quite a lot of funding. And so the players now um, in the national squad is having to come up with money themselves or from their parents, um, to basically travel and fund themselves around the world uh, to play tournaments to, to try and qualify and, and compete in Commonwealth Games. It's obviously good to see that on a casual level, badminton is quite popular. So it will be good to feed that and funnel that through into high performance. Casual players are very important in a bigger picture um, to, to the high performance because of you know, the grassroots and it's where people explore and play and, and we spot talent. So, yeah, it's definitely very important. It's a bit of a vicious circle, isn't it? Because if you're not getting the funding to get out and compete internationally, it's pretty hard to you know, hone your game against these people who you, who you hopefully will be meeting at the likes of the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, and uh, yeah, obviously it is a catch-22. The initial investment must start somewhere, so uh, I guess we're taking the proactive step. The funny thing is, uh, like, Marina Arakovic is the perfect example, isn't she, in tennis, where, you know, tennis gets no funding, and only because of her top 100 ranking consistently can she, you know, afford to get out there and, and work on a ranking. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it also comes down to individually if you, if, you, if you achieve a pretty good result or if you're ranked consistently in, in the top, you know, say, 100s or 50s, um, then you obviously get more attention from the government body and, um, and also from sponsors as well, which is very helpful. Where would you say the state of the game is in New Zealand? I mean, do we punch above our weight or we do about as well as we should? Where do you think it's at? To be fair, it's probably fallen to, um, to, to rock bottom um, for in terms of balance for New Zealand. I mean, we, we used to consistently beat Australia, but obviously 
this few times, a recent few times, we've been struggling, and um, Australia has actually been more on the contrary because they've had quite a lot of funding poured into them in the last uh, few years for their junior development, which is all coming up, and they're seeing the results, and we're seeing the results of that. So it's, it's pretty difficult for us at the moment, but um, yeah, we're moving forward, and hopefully things will get better. Yeah, you can only do what you can do, can't you? I mean, you, like you work when you're on the road, don't you? You, you work remotely from your hotel rooms and, and that sort of thing. Yes, yes, I do. That is the only way for me to keep keep afloat and um, and keep playing games. And obviously, if I don't work, then I don't have any uh, any funds. You're a web developer, is that right? A web designer? Yes, correct. Yep, web developer. So that's a that's a pretty handy trade to be able to take around the world, isn't it? Yeah, I think I'm fortunate in, in that sense. I, I have a very understanding employer, and in in this uh, industry, it's it's quite special in terms of um, I'm able to work anywhere just with a laptop and an internet connection. So, yeah, very fortunate. You mentioned how the, historically we did so well at the Commonwealth Games, and that was in doubles as well. I think there was six bronze medals in doubles and one silver medal. So would you say doubles is the game that we do excel at? Or in your example, this week you're the only New Zealander to win in the white trophy and you were winning in singles. So what, what, what's happening there? Historically, we've had... Stronger doubles players than, than singles players. Obviously, the, the likes of Dan Shirley, uh, who was quite up there when he was playing. So I think we've been quite fortunate in the, in the doubles to have quite a lot of combinations that, that compete very well against the powerhouses. But one's also got to remember that uh, singles is quite a lot tougher compared to doubles because there's simply more people playing and more people competing. So singles is definitely, the toughness is definitely increasing at the moment. Yeah, I think that's probably why we've been struggling and have struggled to get any medals in the singles discipline. It's astonishing how popular badminton is throughout Asia, isn't it? Like in the likes of Malaysia, that the world number one's just fitted as an absolute superstar. Like rugby times probably a hundred, I've heard over there. And also China and and other Asia countries, it's, it's, yeah, they they get treated like celebrities, and obviously they have quite a lot of um, sponsors and TV time as well. So it's very comparable to to rugby in New Zealand, but obviously with with more population there, they're probably a little bit more popular. <laughs> Why do you think it's such a big sport with, with Asians? Actually, to be honest, I'm not too sure, but, but it's probably, comparing it with Perth, it's probably because um, the sport is more technically involved and a little bit more delicate, which suits the body of Asians a little bit more. But in saying that, you know, Europe is, is strong as well. This has been Extra Time. That's National Badminton number 1, Joe Wu, wrapping up the show for this week. Feedback's always welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Richard Wayne. Bye for now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 